Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Have you seen the 2021 My OT Journey Planner? This is Dr. Robin Axelrod. This planner is a must for OT students and practitioners. Check it out at myotjourney.com. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and listening to My OT Journey, OMA Episode 1, Part 2. I would like to thank all the members for joining us here today, especially during this time with COVID and everything that's going around in the world. I hope everyone and their family are safe and everyone's doing well. So today's podcast will be led by myself, David Lagoovi. I'm a second year occupational therapy assistant student at Houston Community College, Coleman, in Houston, Texas. My goal is to become an OT and then either complete my master's or doctorate in OT. I'm in love with all aspects of OT and I'm doing this to share with others who are interested in all aspects of OT and what it has to offer to the world. This podcast is also being led by my partner, Alex Connolly. And hello, everyone. My name is Alex. I'm a second-year graduate student in the Department of Occupational Therapy's doctoral program at Virginia Commonwealth University. My OT journey began through my work as an in-home behavioral therapist while working with children and young adults on the autism spectrum. Through these experiences, I realized that helping others to engage in meaningful occupations while reaching their full potential through holistic and effective practices was the perfect career choice for me. All right. Well, thank you for introducing yourself, Alex. So today we have some very special guests. We have Cindy Pauline and Hannah Johnson. Uh, We'll start off with Cindy. Do you mind introducing yourself and telling us a brief description about the amazing work you do? Oh, not at all. Hi. Yes, I'm Cindy Pollan, and I'm the Executive Director of Art for the Journey. And Mm -hmm. our organization is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to transform lives uh, through creating art. All right, and then we also have uh, Hannah. If you don't mind, can you introduce yourself as well and tell us briefly about your OT journey? Hi, yeah, my name is Hannah Johnson, and I am a third-year graduate student at Virginia Commonwealth University and their Occupational Therapy Doctorate Program. Uh, My goal is really to work with veterans, which I've already gotten the chance to do through my capstone project in working with Art for the Journey, which we'll talk about more today, and also in uh, one of my level two fieldwork placements. So I'm really excited about that. (laughs) All right. Awesome. So ladies and gentlemen, today we'll be talking about AFJ, Art for Journey. So Art for the Journey uh, overcomes barriers and transforms lives through creative expression with a special focus on people who do not normally have access to such experiences. So what they do is they provide a range of art programs aimed at bringing a sense of well-being and even healing within an environment of personal engagement, support, and celebration. FJ provides instructions and art-making experiences to women in prison, low-income elderly, at-risk children, children with juvenile diabetes, older adults with dementia and Alzheimer's, uh, veterans suffering PTSD and combat-related disabilities. So um, the founder of AFJ is Mark uh, Herholzer. Uh, he worked as a CEO with Child Savers, 
FFJ started as a volunteer nonprofit organization formed to raise funds for women at the Goochland Correctional Facility and then has evolved to so much more. FJ originally raised funds through church and a 501c3. And all right, and Cindy, I'd like to ask you if you can uh, give us a synopsis of how FJ started and uh, how the story of how you became involved with the program. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yes, years ago, I was actually a caregiver for my mother who had suffered Lewy body dementia. And during that time, I was looking for a way for an outlet for myself to lower my own personal stress and find a, a bit of mindfulness and community. And I joined an art class that was being taught by Mark Heerholzer, who is the founder of Art for the Journey. And at that time, people in the class started to notice that whatever we were having in our own personal experience, mine with my caregiving of my mother, uh, maybe somebody else who was going through a divorce or somebody that was um, suffering in some other way, found that being in the art class gave us a sense of well-being. And I think that sort of feeling of community and supportive um, structure that an art class provides is a a welcoming place to enter. And then being very mindful about uh, learning about color and light and technique and composition uh, really started to resonate with all of us. So at one point, we started to consider going and bringing this art experience to incarcerated women at the Goochland Women's Correctional Center. And it evolved from being a success there where we were actually addressing the, the need for this population of women who had at one point in their lives been victims of either sexual or physical abuse. Um, we were able to realize that something, we were onto something there. And eventually, my interest in caring for people with dementia helped lead us to find this amazing best practice program that was developed by a gerontologist, Dr. Elizabeth Locon, and uh, also a graphic artist who had come up with a very person-centered, intergenerational, wonderful program using abstract art and college students, which is now called Opening Minds Through Art or OMA. And also, Art for the Journey went on to expand. It not only was addressing um, the needs of people that are isolated in some way, we also started to work with children and um, veterans and, and more. So I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's how we started. Well, thank you for that, that rich background, Cindy. Um, it's been very interesting to learn more about Art for the Journey and um, OMA as a student myself uh, at VCU. And that's kind of how the um, relationship started for me and the idea came about to do a podcast uh, about OMA. And um, I uh, had the pleasure of doing a, um, a little experience with the OMA program as a facilitator or a volunteer right before COVID hit the East Coast. Um, so I was lucky enough to get a little bit of experience about that, and we talked about that um, a little bit in podcast one. But I think what is, is really um, important and what stands out to me, and it kind of gets into um, the OT framework, is that it is person-centered. 
it is uh, intergenerational and very um, um, interestingly enough, it is non-pharmacological. So I think that that's a really great thing. It's an evidence-based model that's um, impacting other programs at ARC for the Journey. Um, and I think that by having volunteers that are giving their time to assist the artists and give face-to-face -face time and providing that positive aspect to the population through failure-free art projects, it's really ultimately improving their quality of life, which is a really amazing thing about this program. Um, and um, the data is also showing that it's impacting people around the artists as well, such as their family or caregivers or even other students. And um, Cindy, you shared a, a statistic that I thought was really interesting that you estimate an average of four people um, are positively impacted per elder participant in OMA, um, which is really exponential. I mean, it's a really um, amazing statistic that your program is affecting so many people positively. Um, and this kind of, uh, you know, relates to us as in our school curriculum. We're learning about ageism and how the cultural effects um, affect our, our aging population and how we, treat with, how we treat them, how we interact with them. So I just think it's a really awesome um, thing that you guys are doing um, to help out the older population. Well, thank you. I think um, it's true that occupational therapy and art for the journey meet in the idea that promoting what a person still can do rather than what the perception of the disability or the limitation is uh, generally fosters more positive results through creating art and creating, um, doing something creative. Use it. We're wired to use our hands and create. But we also really are inspired by the feeling of personhood and, and connection to another human. And what the op Opening Minds Through Art program does is not only pairs uh, a student with an elder to create a friendship, but it, it's about the relationship more than the art. It's about the, the feeling that there's a respect for both the student and the elder. And the students are always sort of surprised because they go in with this partnership doing a 10-week session in um, a typical 10-week um, OMA session of, of projects. And at the end, there's a, a beautiful art exhibit and a reception where the families attend and the art is celebrated and the relationships are celebrated but the students are always so very moved by what happened for them in this experience the elder has shared sort of a sense of grandparenting or just giving them their own personhood and their own um, drive and uniqueness as a human being and so the volunteer believes they're going in to help the elder, and they are, certainly, through this connection and friendship, but then the student receives something. And so it's so exponential. The student receives something. The family member receives something. The facility receives something. And, and just like you say, Alex, it's an exponentially positive impact. We actually collect this data. We, every, every session, we do a survey. And then we also collect the data from family members. So we are able to see where people are being impacted positively through this non-pharmacological therapeutic intervention. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful thing about that program. 
and um, to to as a person myself who was in the program, um, I really got a lot out of it to have that connection. It was one of my first experiences where I was more formally because I was a student working with that population. Um, you know, I gained a lot of experience on how to interact with um, the older population and uh, really helped me on my future or on my career path and my, my current journey. Um, but I was wondering, could you talk a little bit more about the other programs that Art for the Journey has, Cindy? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, as I mentioned, the original program was for incarcerated women. And that program has doubled in size, and it's, it's really leading the way and doing something special for oftentimes forgotten people in our society. And the women have been incarcerated for usually 10 years or more, and they're about to be released back into society. So this uh, program that we do teaches and instructs um, fine art. So we use oil paints, and they learn something that they can use as a skill <clears throat> in their future. And then we also work with children in underserved communities. For instance, here in Richmond, in the east end of Richmond, there was once the highest per capita homicide rate in the nation in this territory. And children that live there in the projects see things that maybe others don't experience in their life, where they've had um, great loss or great stress. And so we also bring the same idea of promoting well-being through art and through com um, supportive community. So our volunteers come in and work with children in much the same way we, we bring the OMA program. We bring lots of volunteers, and we support the students. Um, the most robustly growing program we have is the veterans program. We work with the Hunter Homes McGuire um, Hospital and in their mental health uh, division, and we work with people who have been in combat having um, suffered the, uh, the effects of combat and living with PTSD, also with um, women who have been either physically or sexually abused. So we reach out much in the same way, just through community and art. And we also approach it like the OMA approach. We, we support and we allow the opportunity for somebody to use their own voice in their creative expression. And in that context of support and that feeling that I can actually create a painting or create something because we'll, we'll use uh, other means of art practices and art experiences, there's a sense of accomplishment. And then if you're with a group that's there to support you in this, you're feeling feel positive emotions. And so, of course, we're studying this as well, and I can't wait for Hannah to talk more about that. We, we do have a program for medical students. We found that third-year medical students are under great levels of stress at that stage in their medical um, careers or, or eventual medical careers and their studies. So we, we introduced the idea of non-pharmacological therapy to the medical students, and we've been bringing a, an art class to medical students for years over at VCU. Um, and then we also have this year adapted by creating a television show that reaches out to people who don't have access to Wi-Fi, and we can talk about that a little bit later. So yeah. um, we have quite a few programs. Every day we're out there providing art to 
children as young as five and seniors as old as 102 uh, using art and community. Yeah, that's really that's really amazing, um, and that's what occupational therapy is really all about. Um, you know, we uh, we really work on working with the client to find their strengths and weaknesses, or at least or help them actually find their strengths and weaknesses. And everybody has them, and you know, through different occupations, people find meaning. And it, it sounds like your company, although it wasn't formed by an occupational therapist, you, are, you guys are doing that work and you guys are helping them, helping people in different populations really really find their full potential and, and really do stuff that's meaningful and, <clears throat> and really interesting through creative art. And I just, I'm really looking forward to see your company progress and to continue expanding and evolving over the next uh, few months and years. Um, well, thank I, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I appreciate that. I do want to I want to mention that um, Dr. Diane Simons has really helped engage Art for the Journey and inspired the students to, uh, the doctoral students to find ways to collaborate with us. And I know you've spoken with Diane in, in the past, but we're very grateful to her yeah. and to the three doctoral OT students that have really provided a great deal of research and wonderful academic approach to our work. So I, I know you're going to talk to Hannah shortly. Um, Ingrid Durstein was our first uh, occupational therapy capstone student, and Erin Oakley was our second, and now Hannah, the third, and each one has contributed greatly to many of our programs. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely awesome to see the collaboration between VCU and the graduate students and um, giving us it's another reciprocal relationship where we're getting ex first-hand experience, um, but also working with different organizations within the community to provide occupational therapy services. So it's a, a really cool aspect of the program that I'm, I'm really looking forward to when we can do that. Um, and at this time, I did want to touch on the fact that we did we were lucky enough to interview Diane for part one of this episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out. Um, yeah. Erin Oakley was supposed to be doing um, part two with us, but unfortunately she had to back out to take care of her husband, who unfortunately caught COVID-19. Um, so we did want to especially thank her for the time and help that she has given to help us prepare for this part two um, episode. And we do want to send her out warm wishes um, to her and her husband, yeah. who... Uh, we hope has made a full recovery at this point and doing, doing well. Yes. All right. So, um, Hannah, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, for the listeners, I was wondering if you can uh, please explain to us what a DEC or capstone project is and uh, your experience with it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So our program specifically at VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, um, the DEC project, uh, that's what it used to be called, and now it's called a capstone project, our doctoral capstone. So basically it, um, well, in times of not COVID, it is supposed to happen during your last semester of the three-year program, and um, it's basically a culmination of everything that we've learned throughout the program and our fieldwork experiences, and then we apply it in some sort of project. So at VCU, there are three tracks that you can take. Um, it's either the research track, the community track, or the education track. 
they're all kind of self-explanatory, but for the education track, you're probably working, if you're a student doing it, you're probably working with one of the professors at either our program or a different program within the area. Um, and, and it's really good for those students who see themselves becoming a professor or an educator in their lives. And then the research track, again, they could be working with a professor in our program that's involved in research or somebody um, that is involved in OT research somewhere in the U.S. Um, and then the community track is the one that I did, and you are working with individuals within the community and organizations such as Art for the Journey, and uh, you're working with them with whatever they might need help with. And a, a lot of the time, you are immediately giving back to your community or working with people within your community. Um, and that's awesome. I really like the fact that your program makes you guys do this. You know, throws you out there in the field and shows you know shows you what we can do for the community and what we can do for everyone else. Um, I, I, I yeah. see. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like um, how we have this custom project because it really has showed me the breadth of occupational therapy and what we can do um, beyond just being, not just, but beyond being in a typical healthcare setting like working in a hospital or working at mm -hmm. a pediatric clinic or something. Uh, you know, that's what a lot of people think as the typical occupational therapist job. Uh, but this capstone really opens the doors, and it really opened my eyes to how you can bring an OT perspective into various different areas in the world. Um, so, yeah, definitely moving forward with my career, I'm going to keep that in mind because it's opened a lot of doors and possibilities for me. Yeah, so that's what one of our professors used to tell us. He said, if you find anything, you can put OT in any aspect of the world. And oh, you know, they will need OT. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, can you um, elaborate on, on your experience with the Capstone Project? Uh, what were your expectations? And then what changed a little bit, you know, due to COVID happening during this time? Yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned before, um, the Capstone, doctoral Capstone semester is supposed to happen during the last uh, semester of the whole three-year program. Uh, the last year of the program involves two level two field works and the night capstone project at the end. However, because of COVID, um, that this past summer, summer 2020, uh, was supposed to be my first level two field work, um, and then that got canceled as well as well as a lot of other uh, students in my grade in my program. Uh, so during that time, um, they. I think it was through AOTA maybe, um, they, people actually signed petitions and all this stuff and then it got approved to where people, uh, OT students could complete their capstone project before they completed their two level two field work. Uh, so after that got approved, then all of a sudden I was on the track to completing my capstone project that summer. I literally had two weeks notice uh, to start the project, and this project is something that we put a lot of time and research and effort into throughout the duration of our entire uh, program. So about a year before this past summer, I had already started research and everything, so I had an idea of what I was going to do, of course, uh, but I was, you know, planning on it happening almost a year later, like maybe 10 months later in that last 
semester. So then all of a sudden it got approved that I could do it earlier. And then I was like, all right, in two weeks I start my capstone project and not this field work. And I was just thrown into it. However, um, I think it honestly happened kind of perfectly. And the, the results of me working on that capstone project um, I'm really happy and proud of. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it any other way looking back on it. Um, so, and also because of COVID, um, a lot of my plans that I had been working on also had to change. Um, I was thinking, you know, before I, I knew I was going to be doing the capstone project, I was thinking about actually implementing some art programs with the veteran population because at this time, this is an emerging, one of the emerging uh, populations that AFJ works with. And Aaron, the previous student, um, had started working on some um, art program plans, like a six-week art program plan. She began the work on that. So I was going to, you know, hopefully implement that. And then because of COVID, nobody could, you know, we, we couldn't meet up with a whole group of people and do art together in close quarters. So I had to adapt all of my capstone plans. And um, I ended up creating a... Uh, training uh, six training modules for the Art for the Journey volunteers to partake in online through a website I created uh, before the volunteers, the AFJ volunteers, went to work with the veterans. Um, so that I was all done. I just have to interject. Hannah is a hero. The, <laughs> the work that she did has created an enormous boost in our ability to recruit and train and bring uh, quality experience uh, to our veterans. And the work you did all by yourself in that isolation during COVID, yeah. it was so impressive in such a short period of time. So I just wanted to put that out here on this podcast that Hannah Johnson is a hero. <laughs> it was yeah, amazing. It amazing. And we use it now. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like the, there's a little silver lining between this horrible pandemic and, you know, you mentioned uh, the word flexible. I think uh, flexible should be listed at the top of uh, an OT's resume, something that we kind of we have to do, um, uh -huh. especially in times like this. And, you know, I think it's, it's you said how everything came together. Um, some of the listeners probably don't know, but the, the ACOAT or the American – um, credit, or I think it's the Accreditation Council of Occupational Therapy Education um, had to give special approval for the grad students to be able to do their capstone projects because they are doing things out of sequence. Um, and usually, typically, they would be required to do their field works beforehand. So I guess we should give a special shout out to ACO um, for working with them and, you know, potentially looking for the future, um, you know, as, as we kind of move through this pandemic. Um, you know, we're not really sure exactly how things are going to go moving forward. So we, I just really want to encourage everybody that's listening to just really uh, try to be as safe as possible and think about how um, your actions might actually impact, you know, other people out there, um, you know, such as like grad students trying to finish their, their graduate degree that um, they're paying lots of money for, you know, and, and just, you know, there's so many other different ways that people maybe, maybe not um, aren't thinking about that, um, um, directly impact others by this, this horrible pandemic. Um, so in, in terms of that line of thinking, I was just kind of wondering, um, this question is uh, for Cindy really, um, how, how the AFJ programs have been affected through this pandemic 
and kind of how you guys have adapted. If you could share with us a little bit what's been going on with your current programs and maybe any future plans if things you know, potentially get worse or stay the same. Could you uh, kind of elaborate on that? Sure. Yeah, we, just like everyone, and like Hannah described, we really, nobody had this expectation that so many months would be affected. So we almost immediately started to brainstorm and create ways that we could do things virtually. And <clears throat> doing that, we thought about how are we going to, to bring OMA to St. Mary's Woods virtually. And we, we worked with one of our students, the operations director, coordinator, and children's leader, who's also a certified facilitator of OMA. And she said, well, why don't we do a Zoom and have breakout rooms and have students that are the VCU student pair um, with the elder, the partner with the elder, work from their, their cell phone and then partner with the elder. And now how are we going to get the art experience to the elder? So we originally planned to have iPads that were placed in front of the elders but those were a little small. So then we moved to monitors. And at St. Mary's Woods in Richmond, they had four large monitors, and they were able to place those on tables. And through their collaboration and their support, we've been able to do virtual OMA through Zoom, where we start with a, everyone's together, and they do sort of the huddle. We call it the huddle, where you're learning how to make the art project for the day. And then we go into breakout rooms, and that's where the elder partners with their student. And you, we don't actually get to see this happen. The breakout rooms are just the two, the, the one elder and the student. And then they start to have the friendship, and the student kind of sees the work that the elder's doing because of the way the camera is positioned or the elder will hold it up, and what do you think I should do? Should I choose another color? Oh, I think that looks great, just like that, etc. And as they go forward, they talk about their days and how they're doing. And really, over the many weeks we've done this, they've truly still become friends, so that relationship building still happens. And then at the end, we do a virtual art show. So with OMA, we've been able to conduct OMA, and now we're trying to tighten it up and turn that into a training so that we could add that to our OMA facilitator certification process, and we're trying to share that. In fact, the founder, Dr. Elizabeth Locon, learned about this, and now she's sharing that with all the people across uh, the nation as well as internationally, that you too can uh, create the OMA program virtually. So OMA is um, being done virtually, and we're, we're refining it and training. And then we also have purchased a really beautiful art bus, and we've had it wrapped and colored. It's really colorful, gorgeous, and bright. And from the bus, we're going to be delivering art programs to the community or art exhibits. So we've we're trying to delve into the fresh air and limited numbers of people that can gather. So we may be, you may see the art bus around Richmond if you're in Richmond. Um, in addition, we were uh, able to be discovered, I think, because we were doing a, an email where we were doing at-home art projects for children. And Lauren Tallinn was actually seen in one of those, and a producer from the public television station here in Virginia, VPN, 
contacted her and contacted us, and we came up with a really wonderful 30-minute program. It's now aired. We, we're filming three new episodes now. There's six episodes currently being aired on VPM Classroom. And this was designed to help um, introduce and inspire the, most of the children who are at home trying to learn and you know, receive their education um, on a laptop. But many of the problems in the beginning was the Wi-Fi issue. Many people didn't have access to Wi-Fi. So the television program is providing access. And we're overcoming the barrier of, of COVID. And we found a way to still try to bring our mission to transform lives through art um, in the general population. Wow. And we've also done this with veterans, too. So we, we, we've had um, the, the, one of the ways we deliver virtually is we create a video of how to make the art that you're going to partake in. And we pre-pack the art kits up. And then the art kits are delivered to the um, facility. So the veterans just received a whole lot of art kits and, and a little message from all of us. Um, we do this with our schools. We deliver the art kits, and then we teach by Zoom. So we have adapted somehow and continue to. Wow. Yeah, they say the uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So uh, you, uh, yeah. you guys are, it sounds like you're succeeding very well in that department. I'll uh, definitely keep my eye out for that bus. That sounds like a very interesting <laughs> and cool way to try to tackle that, that problem there. Yeah, um, honk if you see it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, so, Hannah, I was wondering um, if you could touch on a little bit more of the nitty-gritty of uh, the domains of occupational therapy practice and maybe kind of um, talk about how you incorporate aspects of that into um, your program, working with the veterans, and maybe any um, aspects of the OMO program that helped guide your, um, your, your capstone. Yeah, definitely. So um, I touched on before how I created the uh, volunteer training program for AFJ about working with veterans. Uh, so this training program had six different modules with various different topics. And one of them, which is a really, really important one in my eyes, was the therapeutic use of self module. Uh, this one, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, Alex, know the textbook because we use it a lot in our program. <laughs> but um, it's something that's made for occupational therapists specifically. But a lot of the things I found as I was reading through the book uh, could be applied to basically anybody in the general population for a lot of different situations. So especially in a context such as this where you're working with veterans um, and individuals with uh, mental illnesses or potential mental illnesses, um, I thought that using this research and this um, training for the AFJ volunteers would be really, really beneficial for everybody involved, you know, for the, the volunteer on how to handle situations, for the veteran having the best uh, interaction they can with somebody, and for the veterans family and you know it just goes beyond to everybody just like how you were mentioning that statistic how the OMA program uh, reaches far beyond just the main individual um, so I use in in the in the module I 
picked out a lot of the inevitable interpersonal events, or as the author of the book would like to say, uh, she also called them suboptimal experiences. Uh, I picked out a, a few of those that would pertain most likely to the veteran population and uh, wrote them out as example situations so that it would be easiest for the volunteers to apply it to what could potentially happen and what might very well may happen during one of their art sessions. Uh, and then um, I went through some of the um, the modes that they could pick through. Um, again, the ones that were applicable to the general population, not just OTs. Uh, the modes they could switch through and utilize during these suboptimal experiences so that everyone can have the best the best uh, experience possible. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool that you're incorporating everything that you learned um, in the program. And um, I remember in theory class uh, how there is a lot of information. Some of it consider it, it kind of dry, but I think this is a great example to kind of, you know, pay attention, make sure uh, you, you drink that cup of coffee if you need to before theory class and try to have an open mm -hmm. mind about it because, uh, this stuff does, it is applicable and it does come in handy throughout your, your OT career. So um, definitely make sure you brush up on your theory. Yeah, exactly. For sure. I remember in theory class, I was like, man, why are we learning all of this? Are we ever going to really use it? But yeah. as, as you, when you go to the clinical field, you, you, you definitely see like how effective and how much you, you're going to be using not just only one theory, but maybe two or three or four all packed in one just to create, you know, a program for some of your clients. Yeah, I definitely remember hearing that. I think I might have said it a few times myself, but I quickly learned that it, it was good stuff and it is very useful um, later on down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so I was wondering, um, do you guys, is there any clinical evidence to back up the achievement gained through AFJ program? We are still in a in a hold mode during COVID. The um, hospital is not allowing us to enter, so we physically can't be there. And since we're really in the middle of pivoting and trying to find out how to do things virtually, we have um, unfortunately not been able to use uh, and collect the data that we need to. Um, mm -hmm. But we will be doing that as it is our strategy right now during this time is to build our team of volunteers and use the training so that we are using this time you know, very wisely. And once this is finished, then um, Hannah will have some data around that because she'll have the volunteer training experience data. And then after we've used the, the whole program uh, and the trainees, that have been through the training that um, Hannah developed will have the experience after they've actually worked with the veterans. So we'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah, I was actually, um, I actually did my own research as well on uh, opening minds through art to see if there was any evidence-based uh, uh, research on it. And I found a couple. There was one done by Dr. Loken and others and, Basically, it was uh, lots of research. Yeah. Yes, yes, and I was like, "Wow, okay, that, that's pretty amazing." There was one study that evaluated whether the art-based uh, integrational experience um, 
increases the positive attitudes or allophilia towards, you know, elder adults and students. And at the end of the result, it concluded that it increased the students' uh, allophilia toward older adults living with dementia, and it's necessary uh, and possible through well-designed integrational experience. And I thought that was pretty amazing because for a lot of us younger people, you know, a lot of, like, a bunch of my classmates, like, no, I don't want to do geriatrics, you know, I don't want to be with older people, you know, because of this and that, and I think they shouldn't be left out, you know, and I love that Art for Journey and uh, OMA integrates that as well, too. And I'm glad I also you found that up, David. I yes. think that's a, one of the founding ideas is to change the attitudes and make um, a change in the way young people see people that are aging. Yes, exactly. And I also found another one that was about dementia, and it, said it was like a 15-month period. And in the end, the results was that the the findings of the study contributed to the overall discussion that impact of person-centered and creative expressive art um, increases and uh, increases and really helps uh, people with dementia. And I thought that was also interesting. There was a bunch of more studies, but uh, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> just on the <laughs> studies if, if we had time. But I thought it was amazing. So everyone should go out there and look it up, check out the evidence. It's there. It's proven, you know, use it, incorporate it in whatever you decide to do in OT. Yeah, I think it's really yeah. uh, interesting to <clears throat> to see some some more research come out and start to support a lot of these, um, these techniques um, and stuff that a lot of people may have already known in their heart at times, you know, through occupations over the years, um, that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good things that can come from doing things that are, are things that you can be passionate about, that you can find meaning in such as art. You know, people oftentimes look at occupational therapy and they might see kids doing art or older adults doing, you know, arts and crafts, things like that. And they're like, what, what is going on? This is, this is not therapy. But, you know, to a large extent, <laughs> that is a lot of what OT is. And, and we're learning to, um, we're really finding out that a lot of these simple, basic tasks that, are, are meaningful to the individual I really do have a positive impact um, on the person and in the community. Yeah, the person-centered effect is the most important part of, of this, the fact that you're being supported by somebody. In the OMA program, it's one-on-one. In the veterans program, it's not quite one-on-one. But the fact that you are building a friendship with an individual is probably one of the key components of why this is successful and both the elder and the student receive that sense of well-being but the data David there's so much data Dr. Lokan has been uh, producing extraordinary data and it's now an internationally renowned program so I hope people will go and and find all the data it's right there on her website on www.scriptsoma.org yeah, we can we can also post a few of the important studies that she might want us to to list there um, in the show notes. So if you guys are interested, you can check that out as well. Um, but I'm also uh, curious about one aspect we haven't really talked about. Um, I know that we've talked about a non um, AF, AFJ being a nonprofit. I was just wondering, 
you know, a lot of the, the arts and activities that you're doing requires money. So I was wondering, is that covered by any Medicaid services or any other charities or, or donations? Can you um, explain that a little bit, Cindy, please? Sure. So Art for the Journey is a nonprofit, and we raise all of our money, but it's diversified. So, yes, we do receive grant funding, and there has been some grant funding specifically targeted to help us with the OMA program and the OMA program expansion, which is to uh, create the facilitator training for others to be able to bring OMA and other regions around Virginia and beyond. We've actually certified 100 people around the United States to facilitate the OMA program. Um, we raise funds by doing events. We, make, um, we, do in, we ask for individual donations. And uh, we've had some very generous individual donors. I think sometimes when you've been affected by something personally, you have a a family member that might have suffered dementia or Alzheimer's or you have a family member that might have been a veteran or you have a passion for children who have marginalized circumstances, those individuals find a way to um, help us by supporting us by creating a donation. And we steward that money and bring that in the mission that we deliver. So between the individuals the grant funding that we've received, um, and some some other ways like events that we have. We'll have exhibits and we'll sell art, and part of the sales of the art will benefit Art for the Journeys programs. So we're always working to try to raise funds to be able to continue to deliver the programs. And then we, of course, we receive some payment for some of the services we do. Um, so, so taking all of those ways of receiving funds, we're able to, to do what we do. We are trying to expand the program across the state of Virginia, and we're collaborating with Leading Age Virginia, which is an organization for um, businesses around the, the aging uh, populations that we have. And we're hoping that Medicaid funds would be available eventually. There's um, – if, if – Nursing homes have a problem that they, uh, an inspector finds. There's a fine for, for that problem. And those funds are put into coffers. And eventually, they use those funds to do quality improvement programs. So that's the type of funding that we're hoping to tap into because the OMA program is certainly a wonderful quality improvement program for nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Alright. <laughs> That's amazing and I'm glad that you guys are able to, you know, gain money and gain success. Hopefully you'll be able to start, you know, come here to Texas. I want I would love a program <laughs> like this here in Texas. It'd be amazing. I need to talk to my professors and doctors and tell you them, you know, might. we need to incorporate I, it. <laughs> David, I, I should um Get, send you an email because I know that we had two trainees come up from Texas to become certified in OMA. So oh, no way. Um, you very, very well might have an opportunity to, to see the program once things go back to the way <laughs> normally when we can all go in and, and participate in person. Yes, that would be so exciting. I can't wait. <laughs> Well, it's it's really been a pleasure having you both on the show today. 
Uh, we'd like again to thank you so much for your time and your willingness to share your stories. Uh, we are so very thankful for all the work you've done and continue to do uh, to help out the population in need and make this world a better place, especially you, Cindy, and then Hannah doing such an amazing job with her program and her capstone project as well. I was wondering, do you guys have any last words of advice or anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before going? Well, I would just like to say thank you for this opportunity to share the OMA program, to share Art for the Journey, and to learn about how occupational therapy doctoral students can have a wonderful impact, provide a wonderful impact on a population as a part of their experience of of study. And Hannah's work is going to go out and impact so many people positively. Her hard work that she had to do on her own because of the COVID um, shutdown timeframe will be benefiting so many individuals. So I am so inspired by occupational therapy individuals and the students, and I'm really thankful to Alex and to David for letting Art for the Journey participate in this um, podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been our pleasure. And thank you, Cindy, so much. Your, your words really warm my heart. Um, and I do have a little piece of advice for those who are currently OT students or who are even an occupational therapist currently. Uh, just a reminder to always, always, always be an advocate for your patients or whoever you are working with because you honestly might be the only one that they have. Uh, and also, thank you guys for inviting me to be a part of this podcast and sharing my experiences and my work with Art for the Journey. I'm really grateful for you guys. Thank you. All right, guys. That's going to wrap it up for today. So go check it out, Art for the Journey, a wonderful program. And we look forward to seeing what you guys do in the future. All right, you guys stay safe and healthy. Peace. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at MyOTJourney, and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!